Welcome to Brave Dynamics. This is your host, Jeremy Ao. Leadership is harder than it looks. As a proven founder and Harvard MBA, I interview courageous entrepreneurs, executives, and investors every week. I also share my frontline experiences, coaching insights, and own professional development journey. If you're stepping up as a new leader, founding a startup, or venturing into the great unknown, this is the podcast for you. Hey, good to have you aboard, Stephen. Hey, Jeremy, it's good to be here. I really love what you're doing with your podcast. And I think it's such an amazing chance to tell people kind of like the amazing stories of, of kind of like different conversations. And yeah, super glad to be here. Going to be a ton of fun to share about your journey because you have a very unique insight on a topic and set of topics that a ton of people are asking. So before we jump right into it, why don't we just hear about what your personal journey has been? Sounds good, Jeremy. Yeah, to kind of you, by the way. <laughs> so Stephen here, I am Indonesian, so I'm in Jakarta right now. I grew up in Jakarta until high school, and then I went to Australia to uh, do my undergrad degree, where I studied uh, humanities, which is not like super common, right? I think for I think for us Asians to do like social science, humanities, but I do that because I've always loved the media. So I grew up like throughout my high school, junior high. And I grew up wanting to be a journalist, actually. I've actually grown up like uh, writing a few publications, like for the Jakarta Post, like the newspaper here. I love the media. I love writing because I just felt that with the media, you can potentially impact, like create such impacts on the world, like create positive impacts on the world, influence people to hopefully become better by putting your ideas and perspectives out there. So yeah, I grew up in Jakarta and then I moved to Melbourne to do my undergrad degree for my humanities studies. And I did that for three years, after which I actually moved to Hong Kong. And I know that people may find it uh, weird to kind of like move to Hong Kong to do uh, your postgrad degree. But I think I did that because um, again, like back to the passion of the media where I love television. And I knew that a lot of the TV stations, uh, so the Bloomberg, CNN of the world have their base in Hong Kong. And so I wanted to move there so that I can maybe, you know, intern and work in one of those uh, TV and media companies. So did that for half a year, actually, uh, because my program then we did like half a year uh, in your home uni. And then you had to do half a year in another country. Uh, so I then uh, packed my bags uh, and then moved to Beijing uh, in 2014, early 2014. I spent a half a year there, after which I uh, moved to Singapore, uh, your, your amazing home country, which I really love. So spent four years there uh, working on product partnerships mostly with Google. But before that, I actually started my career in the advertising arm of Google. And then after that, I after spending four plus years, um, I moved to Beijing, again, joined a company called ByteDance, uh, which we know as our favorite application, TikTok now, to basically lead and build their Southeast Asia business development team. Uh, so looking after um, most of the telecom and content partnerships across the region. And by the end of 2019, by early last year, um, I've spent around 10 years living outside Indo. So Australia, Hong Kong, Singapore, Beijing. And I, I thought it was a good time for me to just come back to Jakarta, to my home country and try to do something new. Uh, so for me, um, it was both professional and also personal. Where professional, I feel that I've spent the last five years working large corporates, right? Uh, Google was a huge company. Uh, Biden's was a huge company as well. And felt that it's a good time uh, to kind of like explore what I want to do uh, next in my life. And for me personally as well, I, I've been wanting to come back to uh, Indonesia to continue contribute a lot more uh, to the country. And yeah, so here I am in Jakarta from the past um, like year or so working on my own startup in the health insurance space. Amazing. How was it like first getting started in technology? What made you choose this industry? 
couple of things. I would say number one, I still remember to this day, the day that I got my offer at Google, it was simply one of the most magical days of my life, right? It was, 20, it was 2014. I was living in Beijing. Then I remember I get the email from my then recruiter. His name is Rishi. And I was just like super happy, elated because, you know, like it's Google. I've been looking up to the company. And I think to date, I still believe that the company is such an amazing company that it's really creating like lots of impacts and really making the world a better place, right? So yeah, I remember uh, when I got the offer, I was super excited because I've always loved, as mentioned earlier, media, advertising, communications, like a bunch of the internship I did before then uh, was around advertising um, and PR space. And at that time, I felt that, you know, you see like a lot of the trends of print advertising moving to digital advertising. And I think that it's a good moment to just like jump on one of the biggest trends in the uh, search engine marketing and the display advertising. And Google was definitely one of the best places to do so. So I think I think looking back now, um, I didn't plan to work in tech companies since I was young, but I felt that uh, what has happened over the last few years was really an accumulation of like lots of serendipity and also just like me following my gut feel and also being at the right place uh, at the right time, uh, trying to do what really makes me happy and what interests me most. That's amazing to hear your transition from what you studied into technology. You know, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what, you know, resonated with you, you know, what gave Google that halo in your eye? For sure. So I think that number one, I would say that having worked there, it's the culture of the company as well. I would say that in my four plus years there, I've, I've never been, I've always been amazed by kind of like the company culture that they have been building over the many years, right? So I think that uh, they've really put a lot of efforts in making sure that the people, the employees um, are able to grow as a professional, uh, professionally, but also uh, personally as well. And I feel that it's not just in the professional growth sense where you kind of like help the employees to grow the career throughout the career ladder, uh, but also in a personal sense where they really want to help the employees in, to grow in a more, in a more like in terms of like the employees' well-being as well. So I think that's one in terms of the culture as well. And I think the second one is also, it's just amazing amazing to see how a company has been able to produce like so many products that's been used by so many people worldwide, right? So as mentioned earlier, I started off my career in online advertising at Google, and then I did most of my years at Google working on product partnerships for Google Maps, uh, which was super amazing because um, as you know, Google Maps is largely used by so many people worldwide, more than a billion people. But at the same time, Google Maps is unique because mapping products is more than just a pure software product, but it's a combination of like the online, the offline as well, and where the content and the data are such integral part of the product, right? Which I think is super, super unique and interesting as well. Having worked in Southeast Asia for the product where oftentimes a lot of the challenges are around the data availability. So for example, those of us like me who grew up in Jakarta, we know of the concept of Kopaja on MicroLED, which are kind of like the mini buses that you see here, right? That can just like stop anywhere, <laughs> that can uh, depart anytime, uh, arrive anytime. And uh, because of those market nuances, so our team had to really find creative and innovative solutions to do our work. I think it was very gratifying as well, Jeremy, to kind of like spend time working on these products, making the products uh, better for our region. And I think when you meet, say, partners and clients or even friends in general, I think just like them telling me and telling our team that uh, they have found um, like the product to be useful um, in their daily lives, like getting from home to office and so forth. Um, I think it was a deeply and immensely gratifying experience. What was your first day like? <laughs> Were you scared? Were you nervous? 
For sure, man. I was I was scared, right?、Uh, so I remember. So I moved to Singapore. I was my first time living there. I moved, so I I was in Beijing before, and then I I spent a couple of weeks in Jakarta, and then just packed my bags and moved to Singapore. I'd say Tanjung Pagar, then、uh, place Tanjung Pagar.、Uh, our office was at Asia Square. So yeah, I think I, I was definitely nervous because. Was such a, it was first of all my my first job, right? So I think that first job、um, is always like nerve wracking for a lot of people. But I would say that I would say that what stood out to me today, it's kind of like the diversity of the people. Because at that time,、uh, my team was handling the Southeast Asia team、uh, for the online advertising business, and when I went, I remember、uh, just like meeting people from all over、uh, the region, right? So Indonesians,、uh, Vietnamese, Thai,、uh, Malaysians, and so forth. And I think、uh, that was really it was it was in a weird sense kind of like a very warming thing, <laughs> because for us, like a lot of、uh, people,、uh, like myself, like we、uh, came from outside、uh, Singapore, and then、uh, we moved to Singapore to work at Google. And I think there was that, so, that sense of like friendships and camaraderie as well, where a lot of people are are supporting each other a lot. So、uh, I really appreciate it, and I think、um, that notion of diversity has been sticking with me、uh, for a long time since then、um, until now, where I just believe that with a lot of people who come from different backgrounds,、uh, different perspectives, I think、uh, it will just like lead to a lot more holistic work output and effort at the end of the day. I'm curious, like, did you face any particular challenges or obstacles joining a company like Google and later ByteDance? Yes, Jeremy. So I think one thing I would say is that not to say that there's anything like、uh, bad about the roles, or so, because I thought I think it was such an amazing um like roles that I really had a chance to learn a lot about. Like, so I grew、uh, so much as a person as well、uh, during my times at Google and ByteDance. But、uh, you know, I think、uh, with every work, with every role,、uh, there's always some set of challenges and obstacles, right? I would say that my first job,、uh, so I I did sales for Google's advertising business, and、um, sales by itself, it's it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs>、um, I think maybe、uh, even me as a founder now. Comparing like all the different things that we do as a company, so the product side, sales, marketing, partnership, and so forth, I would say that sales is probably the most difficult thing because it's just that a lot of things are beyond your control, right? And I think that、uh, it applies、um, a lot as well in my first job, where、uh, my job was to basically call a lot of the clients、uh, that Google already had、uh, for their advertising business, and then、uh, work with them、uh, to basically maximize their. Google AdWords、um, investments, and then、uh, eventually also help them to adopt like new features and uh, new uh, products that would be useful for them. It was a challenging one because、uh, there was just so many rejections day by day, hour by hour. I would call like a bunch of people every single day, and then a lot of them would say that they're not interested. A lot of them、uh, would kind of like just ignore you. <laughs>、uh, so I think that、um, it was challenging because、um, out of school you kind of like thought that new career,、uh, you're invincible. But I think、uh, with your first job, and then you're just like. Getting smacked, where you're getting so many rejections. I think it it didn't feel good, right?、Uh, but at the same time, I would also say that it has really helped me to become、uh, who I am today. It has helped me to become a lot more、uh, resilient. It has to become has helped me to become a lot more anti fragile. Where I think that these are the traits that has really helped me along the way. So、uh, with my next job at Google, with the partnerships team, and also with Biden's, and now especially important、uh, for me in building my own company. I would say that the other second set of challenge was a couple of years ago. So around four plus years after four plus years of working, my professional. 
commercial career where I was basically working a lot, like a lot, a lot of hours. And then I think that I was、um, at a point where I had a work burnout, right? And I was just, I was just like thinking a lot about. It was kind of like maybe quarter life crisis as well, <laughs> where I was thinking a lot about like what I want to do with my life, like what I think thing I should do next in life, and so forth. That is an important one、uh, to me because I think during that time I did really introspect a lot. I reflect a lot on my personal identity, what I want to do with my the rest of my existence, and it was also during that time that I truly realized the importance of mental health. Right. So during that time, I've actually had some、uh, professional help that really helped me、uh, a lot to、um, recalibrate, to really balance my professional and personal aspirations. And I think mental health is something that we don't really talk as much here,、um, especially. Uh, you know, like especially amongst like us younger people who work in tech, because we want to really appear to be strong and invincible. But I think it's just like a sign of strength、uh, to be able to admit that sometimes you are tired, or you just like maybe need someone to tell you that it'll be okay. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing. I mean, I think it's underrated how stressful it is. Honestly, people have this in just overcoming and improving, let alone dealing with the mental stress of all that change, right? I think one thing that's interesting, of course, is that you know, from your experience, you've worked at both Google and ByteDance, right? You know, in Southeast Asia, right? And I'd love to hear, like, you know, what you find are the major differences between those、uh, two company cultures. I think that maybe it's not to Apple comparison because you know, like Google is like far like much more mature company, whereas ByteDance is a large company but also fairly young, right?、Um, like seven plus years or so. So I think the stage of the company is quite different. That would contribute a lot to the differences in how the company and the product and the teams are run. But I would say that with ByteDance, actually, I feel that it has a very international sense of culture in the sense that I think that,、uh, for example, for my team that I was working with, I'm Indonesian. I was based in Beijing, but also I deal. I work a lot with、uh, people from all over the world, right? So from India, from Americas, from Europe, and so forth. And so I think that that blend of culture really reminded me of how like my experience was with my first job at Google. So I think that se- that sense of like culture and、uh, the team、uh, set up and the diversity、um, has not really、uh, hugely different. That's one. I think the other one that really、uh, stood out to me, Jeremy, is kind of like maybe the whole Chinese, the work ethic in the Chinese tech ecosystem, right? So I had the chance to live in Beijing, which is super fascinating. Have you heard of the term nine nine six? I'm sure you have. Oh、uh, yeah, <laughs> yep. Chiu <laughs> chiu, right? Which means、uh, for those who haven't heard yet, so it basically means you work from nine a.m. to nine p.m. Uh, six days a week, and I think it applies to a lot of the Chinese tech companies, Chinese tech startups, founders, and、um, execs,、uh, Chinese tech workers, and ecosystem in general. I don't endorse hustle culture at all. I think that there has to be a balance、uh, between kind of like、um, resting as well.、Uh, but I think that、uh, one thing that really stood out to me is that. It's important to be able to kind of like find、uh, what really excites you and what really、uh, keeps you going every day. Like it doesn't feel like work to you anymore. But yes, I think going back to that, I think the work culture is something that I, that was really interesting, and I think it, it taught me a lot as well about the work ethic of the Chinese、uh, tech ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, we both went to Tsinghua University for a stint, and you know, both got to enjoy Beijing. And I think what's funny is that. When I think we were both there in Tsinghua in Beijing, I think we saw obviously, and we all knew about the rapid growth of China, and it's just that we always saw it as a domestic economy, you know. And I think since we were both at Tsinghua University, we've really seen all these big tech, you know, basically come out from China and set up offices and regional products for Southeast Asia, right? And so it's kind of interesting to see that. 
For sure, yeah. So I would say that during my time um, at ByteDance, I was very fortunate, right, Jeremy? Because um, I think as a context as well, the reason why I was so excited about moving to ByteDance was kind of like the whole Beijing experience. So it was 2018. I've spent around four plus years with Google uh, in Singapore. And I felt that probably it's a good time to just explore another city, another uh, place to journey in. <laughs> uh, so essentially, I, I was thinking about kind of like the whole shift, as you mentioned, where a lot of the um, like tech companies and tech ecosystem are really slowly shifting from purely the West, um, America, and then um, moving to like the East, right? Especially the Chinese companies where you see like Alibaba, Baidu, Tencent, and now Biden, so of course, getting a lot more prominence um, all over the uh, world, especially here in Southeast Asia as well. So I felt that it's a good time to just like maybe move to China and then explore like what's there and learn a lot from the ecosystem, like meet a lot of amazing and smart people. And I was very fortunate because as we mentioned, I've, I've worked with Google and Biden, um, so like a very American company, but also like uh, one um, like international Beijing-based company. I would say that I'm very fortunate that I've, I've um, a chance to work in uh, on a region that's close to my heart, uh, which is Southeast Asia. So uh, during my time at ByteDance, um, I, 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 I spent around half of the time in Beijing, uh, but half of the time uh, just traveling across the region here in SEA. Uh, so in Indonesia, in Thailand, Philippines, uh, Vietnam, uh, which is super uh, fascinating to see like all the different offices uh, being set up, teams being hired here, um, and then um, just like working with different partners across the region. So for example, in my case, um, I work a lot with the telco partners. Uh, so a lot of the companies we work with um, are kind of like the Singtel associates of the world, right? And essentially, um, it was it was super interesting to see kind of like how this new, this fairly new product, TikTok, is being perceived by um, like so many of the businesses and partners and the impact it has um, had as well uh, on kind of like the creation and formation of the culture here in the region. It's quite surprising because I think most people have historically looked at Chinese big tech companies, even when they're outside China now, which I think we've all started to kind of like put our heads around and accept as a reality. <laughs> but it's also interesting that, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes that, you know, the Chinese big tech companies are not very international. They're not very representative. So it's interesting to see that the rapid localization and nimbleness of these companies from China basically becoming the Chinese equivalent of, you know, American MNCs, right? Multinational corporations. That's right. Yeah, maybe just a side story as well, Jeremy. Uh, so just as a context, I'm not I'm not proud of this, but I don't speak Chinese well. I don't speak Mandarin well. <laughs> uh, so throughout my like time set by dance, I think that I maybe didn't speak more than a couple of like lines in Mandarin. Um, like all of my uh, work, meeting or work email and all are in English. And yeah, it was okay because, you know, like our team was fairly international. And I think a lot of people made an effort to make sure that people who didn't come from the Chinese office, they would be able to fit well with the flow of the meeting and all. So yeah, I agree with you. Having come back to Jakarta as well, I think that I also feel that a lot of the people here in Indonesia, those who are working on startups, uh, those who are building uh, companies as well, I think, whereas in the past, people used to see just like the American companies like Google, Facebook of the world as being their role model. But I think um, a lot of them are increasingly looking at kind of like the hybrid of the American and the Chinese uh, role models, right? Right? Uh, where they would kind of like take the best um, elements um, of the American companies, but also now uh, taking on how uh, the Chinese companies are doing like things very differently and uniquely in terms of the business model, uh, GTM and so forth. So I think that um, I think that at least for us here in SCA, we're very fortunate because we get to see the best of both worlds, which I think is, is amazing. Let's talk more about it. What is the best of both worlds for a US and Chinese feature? So let's start the US side. What's the best 
features of a US in a business model approach? I think that maybe at least with the one I've worked for, right? And I can tell, tell for everyone because uh, <laughs> I haven't worked for um, a lot, of course. But I would say that maybe kind of like one, at least with, with Google, I felt that there was a lot of focus on making sure that like a lot of the products um, and features are being designed and built, built with the most uh, thoughtful consideration in mind. It's also maybe a factor of kind of like the company uh, being big and mature product as well. So I think, quote unquote, from my perspective, there is that sense of like, perfectionism being put in place as well to make sure that uh, you deliver the best like journey uh, for the user. Um, so I think that's one. That's one of the attributes I would say from the American uh, tech companies. I would also say maybe the other one that really stood out to me, uh, as I mentioned from Google, is kind of like the emphasis on the building the corporate culture, which I ultimately believe that tech companies, especially people are everything, that a company is only as good as the people who are working um, at a company. So I think it's especially important for a company to be able to spend time in uh, choosing the right people to join the company and making sure that they are groomed properly, they are being trained properly, that they share the right uh, mindset and shared philosophy, and they work well together. So it's something that really stuck out to me. And I think it's something that really, really helps me as well um, as I'm working on my own thing right now. And in contrast, what do you think are the best features of Chinese culture? I think it's the speed. <laughs> I think it's the speed and just like the, the execution, right? Uh, where I think, as you see, I think we all see on the news on how like a lot of the Chinese companies are moving so fast, like shipping products so fast. I think that there's just like a sense of urgency to build and uh, ship things out. Uh, so I think uh, that's good uh, because as you know, the Chinese uh, tech ecosystem is incredibly competitive, right? I think a lot of the founders, a lot of startups there, uh, they feel that um, if they don't do work hard, they don't, if they don't work hard enough today, like tonight, then someone else might be eating their lunch tomorrow. So I think that sense of, I know you call it like Yasu in Singapore, that kind of sense, that sort of, that sense of Yasu-ness kind of like is existent in the Chinese tech culture. So I think uh, in a way it's good because uh, it makes sure that the product um, improves a lot and that it really delivers a lot of innovations and like uh, new use cases as well for the Chinese users. Um, like for, for example, I have a few Chinese users who have been so used to how like the Chinese apps work in China that they feel that they're almost being spoiled and pampered <laughs> uh, because that level of convenience would be difficult to get by uh, in basically any ecosystems outside China. For example, in the, in the, in the times that I live in Beijing, you know, with the prevalence of the e-wallet there, I've only maybe use my physical wallet three times in the in the year and the rest are all via like the alipay which had pay of the world and my friends basically don't go shopping at shopping malls anymore it was just like them typing a few clicks on the smartphone getting goods delivered at the uh, like from uh, from alibaba taobao and so forth and it was super fascinating because when i was with biden's office you would see that during lunch time and lunch break uh, the post office would be full of people queuing to pick up their mail packages uh, from from there how should we think about it from a Southeast Asia perspective, right? How do we hybridize both best of both worlds, right? Because it often feels like we have to choose, right? It's like US versus China, right? On one corner, America on the other side, China, right? You know, so how do we think about hybridizing it, especially like in the Indonesia context from the founder's perspective? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeremy. I don't, I mean, I don't actually know if there's any specific guidebook to do that. That I think it's a misconception with people who are working on tech companies, who are building companies. I feel that people often feel that they should have the answer right from the beginning. But I do think that oftentimes, like whether you're working for a big tech company, uh, shipping out like a new product, like working on a product launch, or whether you're building your own company, I feel that it's always a constant iteration, right? Where you just have to try uh, different things and see uh, which ones would work. Although I would say though, I think that 
one thing that I've really found helpful, uh, Jeremy, is just like by talking to love people um, and by learning from them. Like, for example, um, in, in my own context of building my own company, I've spoken to other companies from outside Indonesia. So some in India, some in Brazil, uh, who are building companies that are equivalent to mine as well. I think it's been super helpful to speak with them and get their perspective and learn from them, right? So exchanging notes and learn from what work uh, from their uh, for their case and uh, what could uh, potentially be we can potentially use um, in, in our context as well like learning uh, from people and hearing from the experience uh, has been super helpful but beyond that yeah i don't know if there is any uh, specific guidebook just because i think that it's changing so fast as, as well where um even i think that if you if you see with the uh, uh, chinese uh, temp companies i think that the way biden's um operates now uh, would be Quite different uh, from the time that I joined, right, in 2018. Just because the company has evolved to like covering like a lot more uh, products, is definitely much more popular as well, um, like around the world. So yeah, I- I'm sorry I can't be more useful on that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think no one's useful on it because we're all trying to figure it out right now. One aspect as well is like you know you've chosen to work across Southeast Asia as a focus. Obviously, Indonesia is a hot topic, right? You know, everyone's like, okay, you know, Indonesia is all the startups, there's so much growth, you know, there's 300 million people, so everybody has two armpits, so that's 600, you know, sticks of deodorant, you know. How are you thinking about the Indonesia and why you chose to build a business in Indonesia? So for me, it's personal as well, right, Jeremy, where uh, I grew up in Jakarta, um, all my family and many of my friends are in Indonesia. So I think that it's still a country that's really close to my heart. So for our context, uh, for me, me and my co-founder, so my co-founder, An, um, he's Vietnamese, but he has spent around five plus years uh, in Jakarta as well. So basically for us, um, like the notion of like building health insurance uh, startup in Indonesia, uh, it's something that's personal to us as well, because both of us have seen people whom we care about having to go expensive and difficult medical treatments without sufficient insurance coverage. And so for us, we feel that having grown up in emerging markets, me in Indo, him in Vietnam, we feel that the whole notion of financial literacy and like financial safety net are super important to be able to help people here uh, to uh, basically live better lives, right? So that's personal for me, but I think I agree with you. So for Indonesia overall, I think that there's a lot of exciting stuff going on and happening. Although I I've sometimes hope that there will be a lot more zero to one innovations happening in the in the market, right? Which I think that Kind of like maybe the stuff that would really create like positive, tangible uh, impacts on the space. Uh, one of them being the notion of mental health, which uh, I spoke about earlier, which I think is super important, especially during this time and during the pandemic, where a lot of people may still need it a lot, especially uh, because of the whole stigma uh, towards the issue uh, here in the country. So I hope that there's, I, I do hope that there will be a lot more innovations around these um, like uh, big, hairy uh, problems uh, that are difficult and may seem seemingly complex and difficult to tackle. That's a really interesting you know, combination, obviously, of both the personal motivation as well as the you know, professional take on the market. How would you say like, the Indonesia startup ecosystem is different from, say, other Southeast Asia countries or even China's ecosystem from your perspective? One of the difference I would say is that I think that a lot of the Chinese tech startups are probably a lot more focused on kind of like core um, like engineering, computer science, software engineering, um, like innovation. I think the founders uh, and the companies uh, tend to be like 
focus on that like a lot more than the than the ones I've seen I think here in Indonesia where I think a lot of the Indonesian startups um, and companies are focused a lot more on the whole like business and like GTM side right where I think I think it's also a factor that um, a lot of the uh, Indonesian companies are probably modeling after what has been done in China and in India now we are seeing a lot as well I'm not sure like if it's a fair comparison but I would say that maybe kind of like what we are seeing in in China um, is more of like zero to one and i think what we are seeing here is probably kind of like an incremental improvement and customization and localization of what has been done in some markets that um, are slightly ahead of our our ours yeah i think there's also a function of time right it feels like the indonesia ecosystem kind of started quite a few years after china and obviously hasn't had the same benefits as the singapore's uh, massive uh, priming the pump approach with funding a lot of uh, government subsidies into the tech scene via VC support. So definitely fascinating to see the Indonesia ecosystem really kind of take off this on the back of the market size and the opportunity there as well. That's right. Also, I've, although I feel that maybe um, kind of like a huge factor, I would say that I really hope I would improve a lot over the next few years. It's kind of like on two things, right? One is around the education and also to kind of like around on how do we um, enable like better situations for people to be able uh, to take risk um, and start uh, building companies, uh, creating new things. I think education is a big one because as you know, um, I think for uh, education wise, uh, there's a lot that we can improve um, as a society, right? Compared to Singapore and um, China, obviously. With the next few years, if we improve a lot on the education, uh, putting a lot of emphasis on um, STEM um, and so forth, and also I think I think that would that would help a lot in terms of grooming uh, the talent and really increasing uh, the talent pool that's available in the market, especially for uh, technical and engineering uh, roles. And I think the second one also. I've also spoken with um, a lot of, lot of Indonesians, especially engineers, uh, who are very bright and talented. But I think a lot of them are just like not uh, comfortable of taking the risk um, in terms of like building uh, companies, of starting up. Uh, maybe it's a few different pa- factors. Maybe it's one um, kind of like that, like financial uh, situation uh, where they uh, they're not comfortable making that yet. Uh, maybe it's also that second. I think um, as a society, maybe it's not like fully the norm yet uh, to kind of like you know leave your relatively high paying job at big corporates and then uh, doing your own thing but I, I hope that that would change because I do think that like a lot of uh, the biggest problems um, in the countries and biggest issues um, I think that can only be uh, solved if a lot of people uh, who are like smart and ambitious uh, work um, on these problems and dedicate their whole entire lives and attention and heart into it yeah there's a lot of opportunities to improve and I think it's very heartening to see a ton of startup founders really kind of like fill in the gap here and, you know, explore education and different ways to have like educate peers and mentor people as well. So I think it's only a function of time. And I'm sure that, you know, Indonesia is going to become like maybe the largest startup ecosystem in Southeast Asia just by sheer weight of uh, population at a minimum. But I think also, like you said, the entrepreneurial hustle is there as well. That's right. Agreed, Jeremy. So, I mean, I'm kind of curious as well, you know, like you've had this interesting dynamic where you chose to join On Deck, which we're both part of, which is a fellowship for founders who are interested in exploring new ideas. But you also use that time to also actually build out a startup in the middle of a pandemic in Indonesia. So I'm just kind of curious, what was that experience like choosing to found something in a crappy year like 2020? 
<laughs> yeah, God, Jeremy, it's so difficult, right? I think I'm not going to lie. I think it's like one of the most difficult things or probably the most difficult thing I've done in my entire life. So yeah, it's, it's challenging, especially because for us, we operate um, like in B2B space. Uh, so it's difficult to meet people. Uh, we are still in a lockdown here in Jakarta. So we're recording this in end of January. And uh, like most people are still doing Zoom and Hangouts meeting uh, until now, right? And we are still kind of like in a quasi lockdown. It's challenging. But I would say though, um, like I think that it's actually for us like in, in and for me as a person um it's a good thing because it has you know like the notion of constraints i think people don't like to talk about it because they think that these are bad but i feel that these concept of constraints are very helpful uh, because uh, it would really it really help us to become a lot more resourceful a lot more creative a lot more innovative a lot more resilient and a lot more anti-fragile uh, in our company forming phase as well so in our like zero to one stage i think that uh, it's important to have all of these attributes which i think that will be very very difficult to nurture in a very uh, good environment so i think it's good in that sense that uh, it's something that will really stick with us for long time forever essentially and I think, I think also for me as a person it's been a tough year for all of us and i think for me it's really taught me a lot more about the importance of like mental health mental wellness it has really helped me to become a lot more disciplined about kind of like uh, practicing uh, a few like self-care practices um throughout the day for example i try to do meditation um on a regular basis i try to do journaling um and so forth uh, just because i think that like building a company uh is such a difficult thing that i think these are super important uh, to make sure that that uh, you can uh, run uh, throughout the whole uh, marathon <laughs> journey, essentially. And on to on deck, agree. I think on deck is an amazing community. So um, I joined it because I, I actually applied like a couple of batches ago. <laughs> uh, but I think because of the whole uh, queue, so uh, I only uh, got in uh, this uh, this uh, December batch. But I love it because of the community. So for example, in my case, I've spoken to a bunch of amazing people, including yourself, Jeremy, and people who have worked in the healthcare, insurance, uh, fintech space all over the world, right? Uh, so in US, in, in Africa. And I think uh, it's helpful in really uh, being able to stitch all these amazing lessons um, and inspiration together and inform um, like if there is anything uh, that we can do uh, in uh, to improve um, like our, our company, our product, and, and so forth. I love it because I think the on deck community uh, it comes to me as a very warm and um, like a very giving community uh, where people wouldn't hesitate to just like offer their help. And yeah, I think I think it's something that I really hope we can really replicate all across uh, the world, right? Because right now, um, as you know, on deck is focused a lot more on like US um, and there's a bunch of like Europeans follow as well. But I hope that this uh, will see more of these um, in our part of the world. Uh, I think going back to what I mentioned earlier, Jeremy, about like people uh, not being able, not having uh, the right, like say opportunity uh, to build their own companies, I think I think pro programs like On Deck is an important catalyst uh, to help like people in Indonesia, especially, uh, to be able to uh, like meet co-founders, um, like brainstorm ideas, and just basically uh, being exposed to people who uh, think uh, the same way as them, right? Kind of like those who uh, want to build companies. Uh, but I think oftentimes, oftentimes outside the building companies, like the very early zero to one stage is the most difficult. I think finding an idea is super difficult. <laughs> um, I think that even um, I would say that even before that, uh, the stage where people like myself, like people who are working in big companies, big corporates, I think uh, just like being able to take the first, take the first step and telling yourself, okay, I'm just going to 
not uh, work at Google, Facebook anymore. Just going to make sure that um, I uh, fulfill uh, my dream and aspiration of like becoming a founder, like working on this problem problem that I care about. Um, I think it's a huge, I think it's a huge step. Um, I think oftentimes, um, unfortunately, I feel that it's something that people don't really put enough intention in about. I've seen too many people going about their careers in a very take it for granted kind of way, right? Uh, whereas I think that there could be a lot more um, like thoughtful and mindful about how they want their career to evolve, let's say in five years, in 10 years, in a couple of decades and so forth. Mm. Yeah, so true. You know, for those people who are thinking through the career, you know, what support or resources do, would you recommend for them to check out? Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm happy to chat with anyone, uh, all your amazing audience who are uh, looking to pursue a similar career step for myself. So those who are working in big companies who are thinking of like uh, moving out and doing their own thing. Um, I'm also happy to speak with people who, who care a lot about finding their life's work, right? I mean, this is the cliche term that I really like to use, uh, which with life's work, which basically I, um, I define as kind of like the work that you do throughout your entire life that doesn't really feel like work anymore, Jeremy, just because like you love it so much that like, you feel so much. Uh, passion and belonging to it because um, I think I think that's important. I think um, being able to find out what your life's work is is very important to your baseline happiness and basically how you live your lives. I would say that the other one that I really recommend to a lot of people is a book. I've also given it as a gift uh, several times as well, which is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which is a book chronicling his experience as a prisoner in the Nazi camp uh, during World War II. And I think it's super important for people to read throughout the career because I think it taught me so much about the value of resilience. Uh, I, love, I love the phrase that they have in the book, which is those who have a why to live can, be, can bear with almost anyhow. I think it's important. It's really helped me a lot. Uh, going back to my story of my work burnout, uh, that book is the one book that that really helped me a lot during this, those times. And I would refer to the book again uh, right now as I'm ha having difficult moments just to remind me on the importance on the why to live. You know, I really love that book as well. You know, I remember that really impacting me when I read that in secondary school. Looking back, I kind of should reread it again uh, and, you know, think through and see how I would read it differently at this age, I guess. Because, you know, books can really unfold and mean different things at different stages of your life, right? Yeah, that's a great book. I highly recommend it as well. Yeah, I love that, Jeremy. I agree with you because I feel that some, oftentimes uh, there should be a few books in our lives that uh, we will tell ourselves, okay, I'm going to read it again, like say in five years, in 10 years, right? I don't think that there is a constant me. I think that um, us as a person, as a self, is always evolving like second by second, uh, day by day, year by year, of course. So I think that being able to like reflect on how this, even the same sentence, um, like mean to you uh, now, as opposed to say uh, three years ago, I think is super important, uh, not just to understand the content of the book, but also to understand uh, you as a person as well. I love it. I think we can go into a full-out therapy session in this uh, conversation. Thread. Well, we have to move on with the Last question, because coming out of time here, but I guess the last question here is, you know, if you could go back in time 10 years, similar to what we just discussed about, about being a different person, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah, I'll be a lot more, I would say that, Stephen, you should be a lot more courageous. <laughs> Just have the audacity to, you know, like go after your dreams, go after you want faster. I think that that's probably related to the notion of like having more self-confidence as well, because I think oftentimes I like, also see like younger people who, who are like a lot more, who, who really 
doubt themselves like from time to time, right? But I think that oftentimes like these are very much self-fulfilling prophecy. So I love this because my primary school English teacher would say this to us like almost every day. Uh, so she would say, if you think you can, um, you can. So yeah, audience, if you think you can, uh, you can. Otherwise, um, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Amazing. I love that. I wish we had more people like your teacher in our lives everywhere <laughs> as our boss and as our friend, right? <laughs> because most people are like, you can't do it. Uh, you shouldn't do it, right? <laughs> uh. That's right, yeah. Which I think is important, Jeremy, because I think oftentimes, and I think this is important because uh, even reflection to myself, right? I think oftentimes when people ask us for advice, I think uh, we are probably too quick to pass our judgment, our assessment of the situation, right? Like, okay, maybe this is too challenging. Maybe you should stop it. Maybe like this is impossible to do. But I think uh, what I've learned over the years is that there is no there's no reality, right? Uh, like you make your own reality and perspectives. And whenever you give advice that give a definite answer of yes or no, I think you are just like at the end of the day, probably putting more harm to the other person because ultimately you are restricting what the person want to do with, with, the, with his life. Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute blast uh, having this conversation with you, Stephen. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been so fun, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. And I love what you guys are doing. Uh, keep doing the good work. I think Southeast Asia really needs like more you know, uh, like this uh, to really, I think, tell different perspectives and stories, right? And I think it's been good to have like these um, raw conversation as well, because uh, oftentimes like these like below the line conversations are what really impacts people. Yeah. And for those who want to continue the conversation, go to jeremyow.com and we actually have launched a new community for people to discuss these episodes and uh, have other conversations about leadership. Thank you, Jeremy.